Many of us who are engaged in the arts often struggle to make full-time careers out of them, often taking on additional teaching or other odd jobs in order to create a sustainable standard of living that provides enough freedom for one's artistic pursuits. In my conversation with Stephen Wood, I got a little carried away with learning more about his job in forest management and the daily minutia that comes with such a job. We also talk about his inspiring stewardship initiative, a hands-on workshop to get kids to learn the creative relationships between music and nature. And lastly, we learn about film scoring as its own form of landscape music. I use the phrase slow realization, but don't be fooled. This is a very recent epiphany of mine. Anyway, I really enjoyed this conversation with Stephen, and I hope you enjoy it too. My name is Luke Helker, and you're listening to Ears to the Earth. in atlanta all right yeah um so what tell me a little bit about what you're doing uh what these interviews are for i know you've got your blog but ears to the earth which sounds really cool i'm looking forward to listening to some of those episodes and stuff and um but like tell me a little bit more thank you yeah so this started out when last year i was writing a master's thesis the subject of which was on how john luther adams and matthew burtner living in alaska how that environment sort of shaped their compositional process and and how they are sort of most they've become known for writing music that evokes um landscapes really mm-hmm. so the podcast became sort of an offshoot for me to extend the research and talk about a lot of the composers and other musicians that also deal with nature in the forefront of their music. Um, but the podcast seemed like a more efficient way of of talking about some of these people as opposed to just writing endless uh, documents for probably less people to see. Right. Um, and then conveniently, I just this past semester took a class on contemporary repertoire and so we talked a lot about um you know people from all over this country and all over you know europe people who have been writing music for the past like 30 years a very sort of narrow margin of of contemporary repertoire and our final project was writing about people that um are were not included in this master list of like 200 plus composers that we work you know look through over the course mm-hmm. of the semester and you know write about these people that have a common thread and so my idea of like sort of killing two birds with one stone is is writing about the landscape uh, music network and then also you know interviewing everybody in there along the way for the for the purpose of the the podcast cool that sounds really cool yeah yeah, thanks. Thanks for including me. And uh, there certainly are a lot of great composers in the Landscape Composers Network. Um, Nell Shaw, Cohen, the, the founder and kind of direct, the director of that, I guess, uh, has done an amazing job of uh, including a lot of really wonderful people in that network. Um, so I, I'm pretty proud of being a part of that. And uh, we did a really cool project that I'm sure you are co- know of a couple of years ago that I hope can happen again at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to start just by asking how you came to know Nell and how you became sort of in, um, folded into this, this network of composers. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think, uh, I was, I guess I was introduced to Nell just, um, you know, virtually on online or I guess email introductions when she was starting or just had the, the concept for the network. 
um, and I think it was it was through uh, Stephen Lias and the composing in the wilderness uh, kind of network that he created through his uh, composing in the wilderness field seminar. So I think she had gotten wind of that through all the promotion and you know his career of that you know kind of new phenomenon. Uh, it kind of really is a phenomenon, the composing in the wilderness up there in Denali. And um, so I think she got kind of wind of that and how that was uh, already creating a community. I think this is the way it went. It was a number, a few years ago. Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> and he asked, I think she asked him, Stephen Lias, to be a part of the networker, you know, just kind of be involved. And, and he just kind of recommended a handful of people as well that were part of his network composing the wilderness network. And so I think that's how it started. Um, what, what year did you participate in the composing in the wilderness seminar? Um, I've done it a, a numerous times, uh, in kind of different levels. I guess the first, I, I went to the first three as just a regular participant. Um, and so three years in a row, I think that was 2012, 13, and 14. Um, and then I think in 2015, I think I was part of what my, uh, they were kind of starting the Denali Music Festival a little bit. There was part of an extension of the Fairbanks Summer Festival that the the field seminar is part of is you know kind of uh, partnered with and so one of a, a string orchestra that i wrote for that was chosen to be performed up there as part of the denali music festival so i kind of went up there um and was there for the performance which was kind of which was during the field seminar day so i got to meet some of those folks for that year and i did my own trip doing a backcountry trip in denali that year i took advantage of that um and then i think maybe i took a year off in 2016 and then maybe in 2017 it was i was the composer in residence for denali national park uh and i think meta in the middle of that gave a talk during the perform you know an artist talk while the composers were having a performance there um so again it was kind of a Periphery, but I was there involved with them on, on one occasion. So, yeah, so I was actually in the course for three years and then had kind of some periphery involvement uh, as a direct relationship to, the, to that course. Um, Did you enjoy it? I mean, I know that's kind of, I guess that's kind of a yeah. easy question <laughs> considering you've, you've gone back, but I guess how has the repeated visits changed your um i guess approach to the the exercise of of composing in such a short period of time in this you know i guess it's more of a familiar landscape for you than it is for others but um yeah well first yeah uh, I, I i was beyond enjoyment like i is changed my life it was just so wonderful and incredible and um you know, just the, I had never been to Alaska. I'd always wanted to go. Um, you know, I'm a, an Alaskan type person, you know, so I don't, you know, I just it's, I have a strong connection to that wild, uh, remote environment. Um, and so it was definitely, I was right at home when I went up there. Um, and so, yes, just for that aspect, but then, you know, being around composers, you know, doing that type of work where, you know, you're fusing environmental science with music, basically, and, uh, you know, using that type of actual um, uh, scientific field days, you know, learning about the geography uh, pretty in-depthly, the, you know, um, the botany, the, uh, uh, the geological, um, you know, time scales, the, you know, the, the flora and fauna, the soundscape was a huge part of it. The soundscape technician, David Betchkel, um, up there and, you know, do, using all that beyond just 
had, you know, combined with the feelings of the environment. So you're, you know, landscape composing, I guess, or environmental composing can be many, many different, uh, uh, can involve many different aspects of how you develop your inspiration. Um, you know, and I would say most commonly it's like a feeling type of situation or a, a textual type of situation, I guess. And, you know, or that's what people might even think of, you know, that audience members might think of or, or, uh, a emulation type of situation where you're just emulating the sounds of nature. You know, there's so many bird pieces out there, you know, it's just endless. Uh, but, um, but this was different. This is, uh, where we were actually, where we were doing field days. It was a seminar, a field seminar. And we were, um, spending, you know, uh, intimate time with, uh, scientists um learning about all aspects of the ecology and then utilizing those elements to inspire us so it's a so it's a, a brand new experience that you don't really get to have on your own um and that that was really powerful for me and really powerful for most people that do that um participate in that in that course because it's something you really can't experience anywhere else uh on that level um, so that really changed things a lot for me. I had, I had composed, um, a lot of music, you know, inspired by, by natural elements, um, and, you know, environment, whether that be, you know, in the wilderness, you know, landscape or urban areas. Uh, and so it's always, my surroundings have always influenced me, um, more than other other uh, ways of developing inspiration. And this, this really formulated a new path for me um, uh, of where I am now as a wilderness composer. Yeah, there's, there's a couple things I want to unpack there. The first is um, you reminded me of this, this sort of anecdote that I came across when studying about Matthew Bertner and even though he's sort of like a composer first, he's done so many different collaborations with people in, in completely other fields, maybe perhaps non-artistic fields like biology and, mm -hmm. and, and chemistry and things like that. And he somehow has managed to extend his lexicon in a way where he knows how to sort of, you know, talk academically with, with, you know, biologists and people. I mean, for me, it's, it, I think it's kind of remarkable because a lot of that stuff is over my head and you brought up all these other different kinds of um, aspects of ecology and geology and biology. And I'm wondering for you, how thick in the weeds you tend to educate yourself on these subjects. Um, do you feel like you need to really have that sort of like robust biological um, vocabulary or do you tend to, uh, allow there to be a sort of um, unanswered mysticism or mag majesty mm -hmm. to, to it? Uh, I, I would honestly say yes to both of those. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, think, I think, you know, the, the, the first version is prevalent a lot. Uh, where I really do like to get thick in the weeds. I mean, one example is right now I have a job um, uh, with the Southern Appalachian Wilderness Stewards where I'm doing wilderness character monitoring work for the Forest Service in North Georgia, the Chattahoochee County Forest Service. So I'm, I've gotten to a point where I'm actually doing wilderness monitoring work um, and still continuing to actively compose. Uh, so, um, so I'm pretty involved in both. Like wilderness management is a, a big passion and interest of mine. Um, and that's really what drove a new path for composing about wilderness. Um, because it, you know, I found this route and kind of carved it and built a trail um, for, to, to follow where I was able to utilize wilderness management topics and 
which involved ecological situations in order to inspire the music. Um, and I did that by developing artist residencies in wilderness um, and working, you know, and, and applying and, you know, getting into um, existing residencies in wilderness uh, and getting rejected too. It's still the same competition. <laughs> um, and, but then also developing new ones and finding ways where the natural elements and the, the ecological elements of wilderness can, can directly inspire the music on all levels, like understanding botanical aspects of it and understanding the unique elements of those wilderness areas. Um, that, you know, the reason a, a area is designated wilderness is because it has certain qualities that deem that high level of protection. Um, you know, it's, and, and the same with most public lands, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not about the recreational aspects of it. It's not, it's not about, um, you know, resource extraction aspects of it or management aspects of it. It's about the very specific elements that of the earth that, that need to continue to exist. And so, understanding that on a deeper level and understanding some of the science of it and some of the um, very specific elements of the of the plants and animals and water systems and air qualities and geography uh, you know can even enhance a lot of the mysticism of it um, because it can give you a different story it can give you a better story in my opinion it can give you you know it, it's something that can influence um, a, a more spiritual um, connection to the area because you have a, uh, you, you basically have a deeper connection to it because you understand it more. Um, and so if you're able to, if you're able to still hold on to that, that, uh, that sense of connection that is beyond human perception while you kind of, deepen your human perception of the area then i think that that is what really you know that that's what drives me is finding that balance allowing the uh, the deep understanding of what plants are native to that area that don't exist anywhere else you know um you know or what what specific water shed basins are being protected and how how they affect all the areas downstream you know and what geological elements you know are going to be there beyond just a mountain range you know uh, how that mountain range is different than other areas um, so i mean for instance you know i'm working in north georgia and north georgia um is you know, where the is the the central area of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, and, you know, the, you know, it's the foothills of the Appalachia and, you know, but the specific area called the Blue Ridge Mountains has its own ecological systems that don't exist anywhere else. And it has a, its own history, its own human history, its own, you know, Native American uh, connection and the, the people that lived here before we all got here. And, um, and so, so it has its own story and beyond being just the foothills of the Appalachia, it's the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, and so, and there's ecological elements. There's a very, very specific, eco, there's a, there is a very specific reason they're called the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so finding that out and understanding that can help you tell a, a story through your music on a deeper level. That yeah, that sounds incredible. Um, you've you've piqued my interest with this topic of wilderness management. So forgive my ignorance, but can you tell me a little bit more about what what it what it means to be involved in in wilderness management? Like, what is a, a I guess like a typical day like for you? Um, well, I have a, I have a really cool job actually. You know that is. Uh, uh, deals with a, a kind of a new field uh, 
that the public lands agencies have come together uh, out of a need, out of a necessity of needing to improve the management of wilderness areas. Um, you know, because a wilderness area is something that is you, different than just a national forest or a national park or a wildlife preserve in the Fish and Wildlife Service or the, the huge tracts of land in the Bureau of Land Management. Um, the, so the wilderness area is a, is a very high level form of protection that is meant to uh, eliminate all future development, basically, to protect, to protect a, a tract of land from recreational development, from resource extraction development, from uh, anything, any human threat, you know, it's basically to protect the earth from humans. <laughs> uh, and so they, they're very specific and to keep it roadless and to eliminate mechan all mechanical uh, elements of vehicles, of tools. Um, and even now that we have new, it's the 21st century and there's all sorts of, you know, new technology through drones um, and filming equipment and all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of changes happening. And so, my new position is uh, I'm a wilderness specialist that um, deals with wilderness character monitoring in that have, was developed in response to the 21st century and the need to have a better system of managing these roadless uh, natural areas. Uh, and especially areas that have that aren't always that way that, that weren't haven't always been that way um, because it's the 21st century and there's rarely there, there's not a place on this earth that hasn't been touched by humans and especially you know in the eastern united states can you imagine a forest that doesn't have an old timber road running through it you know so mm -hmm. right so so i have this new job where i'm just developing reports called a wilderness character monitoring report that's um it's kind of a library of information, a library of data that um, the Forest Service will use for um, uh, its, all its future monitoring and management decisions. But you also mentioned that you like built a trail and I'm again, I'm like, I'm sort of fascinated by this idea because like you mentioned, I I also grew up in the East Coast, and so to mm -hmm. me, it almost feels as though every conceivable trail has already been sort of mapped out and placed for, you know, recreation or what have you. And I'm now I'm really curious to know what it's like to, I guess, map out and establish a new trail. Um, yeah, well, I think I was referring, when I said that just a minute ago, I was referring to like the metaphor, I was carving my path as a wilderness composer. Mm. like building a trail um but trail construction is something that is very important in wilderness um and most of it happens with existing trails uh trails that are already there but a lot of times new new trails do get built so there there is a specific way that you're supposed to build trails in wilderness areas because you know you can't use any mechanized tools and you can't use any oil-based tools. So there, you know, first rule, there's no chainsaws. Um, there's no, you can't go in and use a, a, a trencher or a dress dredger or any, any type of, um, you know, gasoline powered equipment. So, you know, how do you build a trail that way? Uh, you know, and that, you know, that gets on a different, you know, now we're getting into like wilderness <laughs> management more than composing, but, you know, as a, it, it's interesting that wilderness composing is what led me to this job. Um, you know, fusing all elements of being inspired by, you know, our earth and, you know, landscape and finding a, a deep connection with actual federally designated wilderness um, it inspired me enough in my music that it led me to start learning about management of it and search, searching for opportunities to actually do that type of work. 
Yeah, thank you for that. I apologize. The, your yeah, that's okay. metaphor, like I guess, went over my head. Um, but yeah, well, I, also, I can I can just start rambling, and you have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> no, no, this is good. Um, but I did definitely want to get back in uh, and talking a little bit about the music because, um, in addition to Denali, that I know we've talked about, you've you've um, participated in several other. Mm -hmm. um residencies at other parks that have also yielded you know countless other pieces of music and i'm wondering if we can not only talk a little bit about those but talk a little bit about this inspiring stewardship um initiative that you have going on as well oh yeah thanks for bringing that up um that uh inspiring stewardship was um it or is a um uh, a, a an educational workshop um, that teaches uh, students, music students, uh, how to um, develop inspiration from nature. Uh, it gives them, you know, it's a, it's a hands-on workshop where it actually gives them tools to create music, to uh, utilize their musical language to interpret their inspirations from their environment. Uh, and so it's, uh, I've done, numerous workshops in bands and orchestras uh, and elementary uh, classes and community groups where, you know, I do this program of uh, creating music from not just wilderness. I use a lot of my own music as examples from wilderness, but relate the break that down and relate it to how they can, you know, develop inspiration anywhere they're going, whether it's leaving the school, wake, you know, walk, you know, leaving their house, going to their park, or you know, the street in front of them, the 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 rhythm of the cars passing by, you know, how they, you know, how we can just utilize our musical language to, um, you know, uh, create music from those inspirations. And how long have you been offering this this? Um this course, this seminar? Yeah, uh, it's in a, I guess I started it maybe, started doing, developing it maybe 2013 or 14 or something. Um, and yeah, it's been, it was pretty, I developed it into a pretty active situation. And, um, you know, obviously during COVID times right now, it's not really doing anything. <laughs> um, and, you know, I had some really, really great programs it reached a pinnacle probably in um you know 2018 i think uh so just a couple years ago where i um did a, did a couple residency projects where i was really able to um present it to its fullest where i'd partner with a, um, a national forest to do an artist residency and then uh present you know my inspiring stewardship program with the schools around the, the forest and wilderness area, and then compose music for their school orchestra um, and have it performed um, at the school. So, so I've done, uh, there have been a couple of times where it really came to fruition um, into what I was really, what I've really intended for it. It can be offered individually, which I do just for, you know, individual days at schools. Uh, but then I've been able to, really develop into full-fledged, you know, projects um, coupled with residencies. Do you then start to um, sort of partner the, the composer in you as well as the, like the wilderness manager in you to then sort of dispense, um, you know, like uh, Boy Scout lessons to, you know, <laughs> sort of, encourage kids to not only get out in nature but to also you know treat her with respect and everything and, and hopefully they'll you know yield some sort of uh artistic uh, uh piece as well oh uh, yes absolutely and you know over the years as i've been building my trail and car carving my path out um utilizing my music um to inspire stewardship of wilderness and public lands uh, has been a, a primary objective and, uh, and a really um, front and center goal for me. Um, so, but as part of, you know, the artist residencies that I've, you know, done and created, uh, 
you know, it's, it's the, the, really the end result is creating a, a performance, you know, a concert or a concert series or, you know, a new composition for a school um, or, you know, whatever co is the result of the residency, the piece of music is meant to give exposure to the wilderness area or the forest or the park or preserve uh, in order to inspire uh, new connections and develop new audiences and um, just be a, an outreach system for the public lands. So you've had this, this workshop going on since you said 2013 now, I'm wondering, um, have you had some former participants, former students reach out you know, more recently to say, you know, hey, I've been so inspired by this that I'm now, you know, maybe pursuing an undergraduate degree in, in music or something like that. Have you gotten any sort of feedback from that? Um, no, I haven't really. Uh, that would be amazing if I did. I mean, I've had uh, many students come up afterwards, you know, saying how much they enjoyed it and how much it meant. I've gotten some thank you cards and stuff. And so, you know, all of that is, is very special. Um, you know, I, but I haven't had, uh, you know, no one's reached that, that level yet, <laughs> but that would be amazing. I think a lot of times too, well, I mean, I'm not sure any of the kids, but i mostly did it to middle schoolers and elementary schoolers. And, you know, on a, on a couple occasions I did it with high schoolers. So I think a lot of the students are still in school and haven't <laughs> reached the, uh, the college age level yet. Um, you know, cause it's, you know, just only a few years old. Um, you know, but it, it, I've had some very rewarding experiences, you know, you know, I've had some typical, you know, it's still just a classroom. So I, I'll get your typical, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember how I was in middle school and it wasn't always the, 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 the best situation. <laughs> so you're still dealing with middle schoolers, but you still get lots of rewards, you know. Um, that's cool though. I think that's a, a great initiative. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, when we're on the other side of, of all this, that it'll still be able to, you know, continue as strongly as ever. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll continue it in, in uh, maybe a new form, you know, kind of now that I'm doing a lot more work and doing different types of work, um, you know, and kind of refocus it on, on different aspects. But yeah, yeah, I'm really proud of a lot of, of a lot of what it's accomplished and I think it's got got some uh, still some ground ground to be covered with it some students to inspire and so you know music to be created uh in addition to a lot of the wilderness compositions that you have um it looks like you also have done a fair share of film scoring and mm -hmm. i kind of want to dig into this a little bit because i've slowly started to realize that and you know, feel free to disagree, but in a way like film scoring is a lot like landscape composing. I, mm -hmm. I say this as someone who is not like a, a capital C composer or anything like that, but you know, in film scoring, I, I sort of see the role in music or sound design as a way of, you know, establishing the, the environment and the setting and, you know, the emotion of it, um, almost like a sort of reverse of going out into the woods and and then writing a piece about it in mm. instead you have you're sort of like projecting the mood with, with mm. film scoring and i'm just curious like if if that's a correct assumption for mm. film scoring or um i guess i want to know a little bit more about your approach to film scoring uh yes like that, what you said is exactly what what i i feel um and one of the reasons why I've pursued film scoring is that a lot of my music was already fitting for scenes. It was already telling a story. I was already utilizing music to tell a story. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've been in lots of different musical war worlds, you know, since my teenage years, you know, I'm 42 now. So, so it's been, I've gone through many different musical genres and elements and, and composing for film has always been, you know, a, a, an interest of mine and a pursuit, uh, but I was just never in the right situation where I had opportunities. And 
recently in Atlanta, you know, there's been a boom on the film industry and it's got Atlanta has a film industry here. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I decided that, you know, I really just wanted to dive into it and start, start doing film. So, you know, along with carving a, a wilderness path and inspiring stewardship path and teaching lessons and everything, I started carving a film scoring path. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm working on two films right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, young directors here that do a lot of short films. Um, and so I've got two really nice, uh, directors that I've been working with, you know, for a couple years now, um, that I'm doing new films for, you know, you know, in COVID times, you know, at the end of it, hopefully. And, uh, it's been, uh, really good to get back into it after kind of a hiatus for the past year. Um, but it really is that, you know, getting back to the question, um, you know, it all comes down to the story. Uh, I, I'm a fan of storylines. Um, whatever that means, you know, and I, I, I'd like there to be, you know, arcs. I like there to be beginnings and ends. And I like somehow, whatever that may mean, I, I want to know what the story is and in, you know, and I want my music to tell a story. Uh, and so spending, you know, a handful of years, trying to create my own storyline through environmental aspects and ecological concepts and, you know, scientific, uh, details, um, utilizing the musical language to tell those types of stories. Um, you know, I think really set me up in a place to where I feel comfortable also, you know, helping a director tell their story. Um, and I think a lot of that, comes from, you know, whether I'm good at it or not, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I think I'm semi good at it because people keep asking me to do things. Uh, I keep getting work and, uh, um, but also I've been involved in lots of different musical worlds that I think has helped develop my musical language to have that ability. Um, you know, I'm very, I feel like I'm permeable. I, I you know, I don't really view things in, in boxes or, uh, you know, having their categories, you know, in, you know, so as strictly as maybe, you know, some people do. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, it's more of a holistic view, uh, which also is very important in wilderness management. Um, but, you know, when I came like in 2012, when I was heading off to Alaska, I had just, finished my master's degree in jazz studies in downtown Atlanta in the basement of, um, you know, the Georgia state music department. <laughs> so I just come from a completely different world, but it was that intense study into the jazz language that gave me a, uh, a whole new language to, you know, be able to speak, to the environment, you know, and then I would spend, you know, every Tuesday night at a free improv jam, you know, that having that, that deep concept of playing avant-garde music, you know, John Zorn type of stuff, early seventies, Miles Davis stuff, you know, that, you know, Frank Zappa stuff really, you know, um, even though he's a little more composed, and that stuff um, but you know that just freedom of you know combined with a heavy understanding of you know bebop language and you know uh cool jazz and fusion languages combined with you know a romantic language um you know combined with you know more modern uh serialistic languages you know being able to utilize all that i i think really helped with uh, being able to speak about wilderness and now being able to work on varieties of films and combine that because that's new films require that. Like you, you have to be able to do that. Uh, so I don't know. That was a long winded, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Maybe I touched on too much, but no, um, not at all. That was great. Thank you. Um, What's your, what's your main instrument? 
just out of curiosity. Oh, it's piano. Piano. Um, so, yeah, well, I, I think I think about most of like the the you know the modern film scores that I hear, or at least I'm aware of, and maybe this speaks more to like the music or the films that I'm watching. But it seems like everything is so like synth based mm-hmm. and dare I say almost like artificial too even you know even the the um the strings and the brass are all sort of just patched in Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I have a question out of it I think it's more of just like an observation I don't know if that's like a a, if it's a good thing or a bad thing or if it's just a, a simple fact of you know where we are in terms of having the access to these these resources and have it being you know much cheaper to Mm-hmm. to just use you know these sort of patches um i don't know do you tend to when when you're composing do you tend to you know rely on those sort of like artificial sounds to help you shape the full the full project or can you just sort of sit at the piano and just construct it all from from there um, you know, it depends on the project. It depends on what's required of it. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of my wilderness compositions were composed on a Fender Rhodes. Um, so that's not an electronic instrument, so to speak. It's not a synthesizer, but it's not really an acoustic orchestral instrument. Um, yeah. You know, and so, you know, and it certainly influenced the sound of some of the compositions um, because, you know, the, the Rhodes presents, it's a very unique sound. Um, and when you play certain harmonies, it really, you know, the Rhodes really speaks to those harmonies as opposed to other types of textures. Um, and so, you know, so it depends, you know, I guess. Um, I mean, if I, I feel like m- most of the time I start, you know, with a pure musical idea, um, as opposed to just, I mean, well, I don't know if this is the the correct way to do it because I was going to say, as opposed to just creating synth sounds, like, I think that's what you were asking. Um, because I don't think that's, I don't think that's true to what I believe because I don't see necessarily how a synth sound is less musical than me creating at a piano. Um, because it's all a basic tone and it all comes from a basic tone. And, you know, what is to say one is less natural than the other, I guess, which I think is what some of the question was, is are you composing from a more natural element using acoustic instruments as opposed to having some of what of an artificial sound with, you know, kind of synth layers and stuff. Um, now I will say the quality of sounds, digital sounds means a lot. Um, you know, cause it's not the 1980s anymore, you know, but a lot of the sounds, you know, the 1980s, I mean, you know, the pop music, th- those sounds, those keyboard sounds, you know, individually might sound awful, but when you go back and listen to those songs, they're, you know, they, they get you moving, man. Those things are great. I love all those old patches, the DX7, you know, the ARP Odyssey from the 70s, you know, all those things. It's just so incredible. So, you know, I don't, I don't see how um, one is limiting more than another one. Um, it, it just depends on what you're looking for in the composition and what you're trying to say more than what, your what sound you're using i think you know yeah thank you for sorry go ahead yeah i think that maybe answers your question i don't know maybe it spurs more you know and um you know because even in landscape music i've i've written you know kind of focused more on chamber music and uh you know, some orchestral music, and I have some symphony orchestras, 
but I also have some symphony orchestras that haven't been performed and might never get performed. Whereas if I do something that is for a smaller group or I do something that's even electronic, you know, that's going to get performed, you know? And so there, there's some of those aspects as well. Um, but it all depends on what you're trying to do. So, you know, if you're doing a, um, uh, an electroacoustic piece and, you know, I think you're involved in like, uh, uh, electroacoustic, you know, aspects and you do some soundscape recordings and things that I, or, you know, a lot of percussionists also, you know, are involved in a lot of electroacoustic music and, you know, so it depends, you know, a lot of landscape composers utilize those types of elements. Um, I was, uh, when I was composer in residence at Denali, there was also another composer in residence. There were two of us and, you know, I was composing chamber music and orchestral music. Um, and he was doing, uh, kind of electroacoustic soundscape recordings to where he was going around and his final project, he did a really cool, um, really cool composition where he rec recorded the sounds of the logs that he would pound and he created all these different tones. He went around in the, the river basin that he was staying, the braided river that he was staying at that the cabin was next to and recorded just, and you know, a huge library of different tones and pitches from all the driftwood. Then he took that back into his program. I think, I forget what he was using. Um, and basically just created synthesized sounds off of those same as you would from a uh just a sine wave you know it wasn't really any different except he just had a different source and had a nat you know a natural source i'm putting those in quotations if this is a you know there's no video to this uh but it's um you know and then he took that and he just completely did the exact same thing you would do with a sine wave on a a moog you know and then sequenced them all cut them up created rhythms imported them into a drum machine you know and so and and just did this incredible almost you know kind of trip hop techno you know not techno but like trip hop uh you know dub type of um uh composition and so you know i think something like that is just incredible we're utilizing this all these technological elements you know that some people might see as unnatural forms of creating music but he's taking these natural elements and you know doing this electroacoustic you know creating this electroacoustic world and you know i think that might be an example of where you know it's how you use the sounds it's you know the technology's there and you know it's up to you as a composer to determine how you're going to use them and the inspiration is really just the same you know i think and you know it, it just comes from you and it comes from the world and you know a melody is a melody and no matter what it's played on that's been one of the real beauties of of doing this podcast and the research and interviewing everybody and realizing that everybody has you know countless different ways of of being out in a singular place and interpreting it in so many different ways whether it's you know using acoustic instruments to evoke this feeling of being out in the landscape or actually going out and sampling and recording the actual you know the physical sounds and then you know reconstructing it um into something else entirely and that's been one of the real the real um rewards with with uh being able to like interview everybody and and really you know research into everybody's different um compositions um i did want to you know as we're starting to wrap up i did want to talk a little bit about this new record that you have this um Cumberland Island piano suite. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of these pieces, because it looks like it all came out this year. Uh, yes. Yeah. I have kind of two, um, two new CDs, one just a couple years ago uh, called Untrammeled, 
um, that features some of uh, a handful of my chamber works uh, uh, inspired by recent artist residencies with wilderness areas. And then this Cumberland Island piano suite uh, that I did um, for the uh, Cumberland Islands uh, National Seashore and Wilderness Area there, um, which was also a residency. So, um, yeah, that kind of came out this year. Um, I had done the recordings a handful of years ago at the same time that I was recording Untrammeled, um, but I just wanted to release it separately. And, you know, and I kind of at the beginning of this year, it was a great opportunity to re, re you know, since there were no gigs, <laughs> it was a great opportunity to finally actually release it in a way. Um, and so it's just, it's offered, you know, digitally, you can download it. Um, but that was a really cool project. Uh, the, 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 the residency I did with Cumberland Island um, is, is one of my most fond and proudest experiences. Um, and yeah, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> Well, I, I am curious, you know, you go to all these different parks and these, these different residencies, and I'm wondering if certain, um, certain environments remind you of certain sounds. I mean, you, you, you're a pianist by, by trade, so maybe most of the time you're, you're thinking in terms of the piano, but I'm wondering, you know, do you ever go out into a field and that to you always sounds like a trumpet or, or something like that, or is that... Is that way off base? Uh, no, not at all. Um, you know, and this is where, you know, going back to kind of the beginning of the conversation, this is where some of the, the allowing the mysticism and, you know, the, I guess, the, the spirits of the area, um, you know, connect with you. You know, I think that's where a lot of the musical elements come from, uh, you know, acknowledging the, our human scientific perceptions uh, and then letting go of that to have, you know, the musical language come forth, um, you know? And so, yeah, that, that does happen. You know, it's not like a field always sound or a meadow always sounds like a trumpet, but, you know, I've, an Alpine meadow on a, on a sunny 70 degree day with, you know, all the asters and, you know, uh, alpine flowers and you know the the smell of the uh you know the pines up there you know that's that certainly does create a different texture and language and feeling than the wild dunes you know on a uh, uh a natural barrier island um and so so there's definitely different musical you know languages for each one and feelings um, and instrumentations, maybe, you know, and there's common things, you know, an oboe could be some reeds blowing in the wind or something, you know. Um, but the, I guess the, the Cumberland Island suite is kind of a kind of an example of, you know, telling the story of different, different landscapes. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that the piano suite probably isn't what you think. It's, it's just, it's a series of very short um piano pieces for beginning and intermediate level piano players um because i wrote it with the intention of um leaving it on cumberland island in the middle of cumberland island there's a, a big mansion um that's a functioning mansion the the national park service owns and has restored um and gives tours at, and in one of the rooms is a grand piano. So as part of my residency, I got to spend a week at the, the mansion composing. And it was at the end of the, res the month-long residency, uh, whereas the previous three weeks, I had traveled around the island and stayed in all the different ecological areas. And then I stayed at the mansion to begin the compositional process or, you know, intently working on it. It kind of began when I first got there, but um, to, to intently work on it. And so while I was there, you know, you can, you know, the tour, the, the people on the tours can play the piano. So I was like, Oh man, that'd be super cool to just have a little book that anyone can play 
that kind of tells the story of the island. Um, you know, I also wrote a symphony orchestra for Cumberland Island, and so that was performed by uh, the Atlanta Philharmonic Orchestra. That's uh, a really great local orchestra in in one of Atlanta's suburbs, and um, you know, and there's a recording of that too. But this was something that I really wanted to do as a gift to the island, as a gift to all the visitors, and something that you know can just be there for permanently for everyone to play, as well as is available for anyone else to play. I mean, you know, you can purchase the score um, and, you know, have it for yourself. And I give it to students, you know, I've had numerous piano students of my own in elementary school and middle school perform it for recitals. And that just like means so much to me when they do that. I've had a piano student visit the island and play it on the piano, read the score there and play it. And that just touched my heart beyond belief. Like that was just incredible. I was like, that was worth it right there. Um, and so, but the, what it does, it's a series of 10 pieces that takes you on a journey from when you step off the ferry on the Southern tip and travel through all the ecosystems and cultural elements and, uh, n national park tours all the way up to the remote wilderness North end. Um, and so each piece you know each short piece captures an element uh you know there's dungeon s um well it starts with the fairy ride it's a very simple just kind of cumberland queen is the name of the fairy it's a very simple uh just kind of optimistic flowing melody um just kind of a one note line for a couple minutes that just kind of generates that that anticipation and optimism and i won't go through every one but there's you know one about the Sawtooth, uh, the Sawtooth uh, Meadow Groves and the Mysterious Willows and the remote Whitney Lake on the North End, the Wild Dunes, Dungeness, the mansion that burned down is a big skeleton, you know, Plum Orchard, which is the mansion in the middle. And so there's just all sorts of different stories happening, um, short stories happening in that. That's, that was super fun to write and it's super fun to perform. I perform it too. You know, when I do presentations and talk about uh, wilderness composing, you know, it's a very simple uh, story to tell uh, and perform just on a piano. So it's, it's, you know, I have a lot of fun with that, with that music. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank well, thanks so much for, for all this, for taking the time to chat with me. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you uh, for having this, having me, and, um, you know, I'm honored to be a part of your podcast, and uh, it's a lot of fun, and I think you're doing great work. I mean, you know, running a podcast about landscape music and, you know, ears to the earth is a really exceptional idea. It helps <laughs> a lot. It helps a lot, you know. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, well, certainly, you know, hope to hope to stay in touch. Uh, as well i'll let you know when the when the episode comes out okay uh, and then i'll follow up i guess a little bit just to get some permission to use um a piece or or pieces of of music in the in the episode as well yeah 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 i'm happy to provide whatever you want for that i can even edit some stuff down some snippets or whatever you know you can just choose some stuff um, I can send you MP3s or WAV files um, if you want some WAV files. Everything you download or listen to uh, is probably MP3s, but I have WAV files of most stuff if you want a better quality. Um, right. So, and I, I actually just did a uh, another podcast um, that deals with more wilderness, you know, management called and wilderness issues uh, called Wil It's just called Wilderness Podcast. Oh yeah. But he had me on it. And I actually walked through a couple compositions uh, and talked about how the musical language was evoking wilderness, like what, what, what how the, the composition, the, the, the musical elements of the composition were, you know, how they were directly portraying what was inspiring them. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. You, you may, when that comes out, you, you know, you may be interested in, in that. Um, as far as on the musical level. Um, so that, that was really a lot of fun. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I just made a note to, uh, to look into that later. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, man. All right. All right. Take care. I'll see you. All right. You too.